When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Can't Be Podcast. Our Monday show is back. I'm Dan Ronaldson, joined by Matt Kendrick. Matt, you've been away on holiday. It's your first day back at school, so to speak. How are you? Picked the wrong week to go away on holiday, and I? It's supposed to be glorious sunshine this week, but um, I had a lovely, lovely time um, on the Welsh coast, mate. Um, consuming nice. fish and chips and pizza most nights. So, uh, yeah, very pleasant. I was going to ask what you got up to. Let's have a bit of chat about your holiday before we get into the Liverpool defeat. Uh, Wales, you say, was it? Yeah, I went to a place called Claric Bay. Um, it was a very last minute, very last minute dot com job, uh, and it was supposed to be for a week. But my son made us cut it short uh, for his first experience of European football—a um, dead rubber against the Burnian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was um, very pleasant, mate. Yeah, we didn't really do much. I'm not the most adventurous, as you can see. So it's just kind of driving from one coastal town to the other, finding the nearest chippy, having to kick around <laughs> on the beach, and then um, repeat basically. So yeah, perfect. You've also got your little studio set up at home now, done as well. You've got your microphone all in place, got a villa shirt in the background, your prints on the wall as well, same one I've got. That's nice. You've actually got yours on the wall, whereas I've just got mine on the floor at the moment. Do you feel nice now? You're in a little work-from-home environment rather than the bedroom? I'm trying to make an effort for you, Dan, aren't I? You know, after, after all this time. Do you remember back in the day, I think I think we did a quiz and I've got like a ladder. I think I was, oh, yeah. I was in my son's bedroom and I had to use a kind of ladder as a makeshift kind of microphone stand or whatever it was. Yeah, I'll put a picture of that up on screen or click from that. You were wearing a villa tie, weren't you? I'm sure it was a quiz. A villa shirt, a villa, villa tie. tie over. It might have been over Step that ladders. shirt, actually. Might have yeah. been what reminded me. Probably was, actually. We've come a long way, haven't we? Uh, <laughs> Not that far, <laughs> but we're making steady progress. <laughs> Let's talk about Liverpool then and the weekend. What's your general reaction to, to it? Is it all doom and gloom for you or is it just one bad day at the office? I don't think it's all doom and gloom, and I think the thing that the thing that encourages me is, you know, we all had a I say we the collective Villa fan base, or certainly the elements that you see across social media, had a, a mini meltdown or a massive meltdown after Newcastle and thought, you know, it's the end of the world, and you know our hopes for the season were dashed, and then we we followed it up fairly impressively, I think, albeit against teams we we expected to to beat in. Everton, Burnley, and um, Hibernian twice. Just the managers, just he exudes calm um, mm. for me, and I think that's that's really really important. Uh, I think the the manner of the defeats and the deficit of the defeats has been disappointing, but the defeats have come against teams who, who finished higher than us last season. I think we've still got to be, uh, you know, if you want to challenge the elite or you want to you want to kind of break into that territory you can't do it straight away uh i think that the thing that 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 worries me a little bit is when we do concede a goal i think we look vulnerable i think you know we've seen it at villa park so often when we score the first goal we score an early goal and then we go on and control the game and we go and win the game i think the opposite is true um when we concede a goal particularly away from home I think that's something, you know, a kind of mental toughness perhaps that, that, that Villa need to, to get used to. But 
having shot ourselves in the foot so early on yesterday, I, I don't think there was ever ever really a way back. The bulk of today's show is going to be driven by the YouTube comments from yesterday's post-match show that we did, uh, which fun. are overwhelmingly ne- negative, I would say. And I, I'm hoping we might be able to provide a bit of balance, possibly. The manner of the performances you just mentioned there for, for Newcastle and Liverpool is the concern for me, the way we've lost more so than the results in isolation. Very good teams, like you said, who both both finished in the top five last year. For Villa to go away to those stadiums as well and get them out of the way early season is kind of a blessing in, in one in one sense. We haven't got to go to Anfield or, or St James's again. I think if those sp- specific games happened against lesser opposition, let's say we went away to Crystal Palace and lost 5-1 on the opening day, I went away to Goodison Park and lost 3-0 in the way we did to, Everton, to Liverpool yesterday, I'd be a lot more concerned about that because of the opposition. Newcastle at St James's and Liverpool at Anfield are very, very good. I know that Villa want to get to a place where we're competing for the top six, top four, and to do that, you have to beat the sides that are around you and, and the good sides in the division. I don't think the result is the end of the world, but the way we've lost in those two games does does worry me a bit. Yeah, I think, um, again, Unai Emery, the bits that I heard of him post-match, he was very, very honest, saying Liverpool are a better team than us. Mm. You know, that's the the level that we're we're striving for, but we're not there yet. It's a thirty eight game season. Let's see how close we can get over over the course of the season. And that encouraged me in a way. I know it, it, perhaps it sounds a little bit defeatist. We're not as good. As, I don't think he was saying we can't go and take them on. I think it was the contrary of that. But just uh, for a bit of context, we're not quite there yet. And I find that in, encouraging rather than a manager coming out and saying, "Well, you know, VAR should have taken a closer look." at that mm. first goal and, and, and that kind of thing. He doesn't make excuses. He, he knows where the issues are and he knows it's on him to to improve it. You know, I'm not saying he, he Unai Emery goes goes gung-ho. I think he, he tries to, to to set his team up in a, in a very controlled way. But does he need to compromise something mm. a little bit more? You know, we've spoken about this high line de- defending so highly and it, it, it leaves you vulnerable. That's what's done us again yesterday. So if he is going to play that high line, you know what's what's the insurance policy? I think you, you mentioned a, a Villa fan on, on on Twitter off air, lad called Alex Alex Berwick. Um, who, I always tend to see him as one of the one of the voice of reasons in voices of reason in, in a lot of noise. And you know, and I think the pundits pointed it out last night as well, Jermaine Genus, that if you're going to play that that high line, you can't allow people like Trent Alexander Arnold that amount of amount of time on the ball. So yeah. you can't have both. If you've got a high line, you've got to make sure that you that you, your forward players and your midfielders are following in as well and pressing high. Because uh, if you don't, if you don't don't do either, you know you, you're leaving yourself super vulnerable. And it's it's moments like that, and it's things like that that you know Unai Emery will have been yeah. so frustrated by that that he will make sure that he, he you know he addresses it a, 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 as soon as he possibly can. It's the lack of a press that. It doesn't suit the high line either. The, the match of the day analysis you mentioned there showed DRB and Watkins just not closing down. And that was only a couple of clips they showed rather than the whole performance. But if that happens at any point throughout the game, defeats the purpose of the high line because Villa are so compressed up the pitch that it only takes one ball to bypass the whole side. Whereas if, if Watkins and, and DRB are on everything and don't allow Liverpool space, that long ball can't go past the high line because it's closed down at the first instance. You know, you defend from the front, don't you? The, I thought the the analysis for much of the day was interesting on Trent's position as well. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the inverted fullback and him dropping into midfield and that leaving massive space down the right back uh, position normally for a counter attack, which would have been great for Villa to, to run into that space. The little clip they showed of him 
switching with Matip and Matip going out to the right back and, and Trent almost sitting as a, a centre-half and just having so much space to ping balls. Again, a, a massive part of Villa's downfall yesterday, giving Trent so much room, so much time to play a, a pass. We all know how good he is at, at passing and how capable of a footballer he is. So for Villa and Emery to have set up with a game plan to play a high line, to not have a great press from, from the front and to give Trent so much space to just basically do whatever he wants feels a little bit of a worry to me that that was overlooked. Let's face it, this is a Liverpool team. You know, it's kind of a, a changing of the guard at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. And Klopp is one of football's, the Premier League's, Europe's elite coaches as well. True. So True. it's not as if you, you know, you're going to have different challenges each week. And I think I think Klopp said post-match, didn't he, that that's probably as near to perfect to performance as yeah. I've seen from my team for, for a while. And we know Liverpool haven't reached the heights of, of, of two or three years ago consistently. But I think you've got to got to give credit to them. It's one of those ones where it's not great going international break into an international break because we can all dwell on it and be frustrated about it rather than going in on the back of a, of a positive result. But we know that when Villa come back against Crystal Palace a week on Saturday, you know, we know after the, after the Newcastle game, it's not the end of the world. Emery will yeah, find a way. It's when we, I think we've got Chelsea away, haven't we? The, the following week, which is not the challenge that it, that it once was. But mm-hmm. it's finding a way to cope with the the top teams on their own patch, really, when we're probably not going to see as much of the ball. Um, it's how, how we deal with that. And the other thing that frustrated me yesterday was... Conceded two goals from set pieces. Liverpool find lots of different ways to to carve teams open, but to give them that, you know, the you know, whether or not you you think that it should have been disallowed for for an offside was it Salah in in, in the line of vision of, of Martinez? Mm. A, how are we giving away that corner so carelessly in the first place so early in a game? And B, you know, how's your man? I can't even pronounce it, Dan. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try. It's a boss as the man says. Um, how are we giving? How are we giving him that that amount of time um, to mm. to strike that ball there? And then the second, the, the third, the third goal from the from the corner. I just think probably Luca Dean had just had enough for the day, to be honest, because he was being given quite a torrid time down yeah. that flank, and it's just it's just switching off again. Those are the basics, aren't they? And I think. Emery said, didn't he, that how, how clinical Liverpool were versus how how clinical we weren't. You know, those three moments, they've, they've stuck it away. We've probably had two or three half-decent chances that we've, we've not made the most of. So. Liverpool had six, seven, eight, nine very good chances that, that could have been goals without that Nunes one. The, the header that's just gone past the post for an open goal. Uh, countless other ones where you think, oh, we've, we've been kind of carved open once again. But the word you use there, basics, is what it was. And we said on the post-match show yesterday, a bit of naivety as well. That first goal is the example of just everything going wrong. The Pau Torres trying to play out from the back and, and kind of fluffing his lines and giving away a cheap corner early on at Anfield. Again, recipe for disaster to get them up for it, to have the opportunity for, for an early goal. So Boss Lai having acres of space to run into and Mark just standing in the... In a bit of no man's land, really, but you know, as soon as the ball comes through, he's going to start a move into the box. Or how he was left to have so much space is baffling. And then I suppose we will talk about the, the whether it was offside. So we had a comment from Martin who said, first goal, Salah's offside, and he's obscuring Emmy's view. Discuss. And we didn't mention it in the show yesterday. I don't know why, because I'd seen it at the time, but we we spoke about so many other, dif- of other different things. Weirdly, match of the day didn't talk about it either. I thought maybe the pundits would have would have looked at different angles and stuff. 
I suppose it's because it's Liverpool and they've won and they don't, they don't really care. But all those things combined, we give away a cheap corner, you give your man loads of space. It probably should have been ruled out by VRR as well. There's so many things there that go wrong that kind of conspire against Villa. What are you supposed to do against that? You're you 1-0 down after three minutes and you feel like the game's going to be over. Should it have been offside, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously biased, so I think every goal that's scored against us should be ruled out for, for some reason. <laughs> um, but that one had a, a justifiable reason, in my sense, because, you know, it's yeah. that in the obvious, isn't it? If you're in somebody's eye line and they cannot you're, you're see... You're interfering with play, yeah. ...where the ball is, of course you're interfering with play. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, VAR and the dodgy calls can, can dominate analysis mm. of, of, of football matches. But you think it could have at least been mentioned... <laughs> You know, yeah. even if they didn't spend, you know, 10 minutes deconstructing it from lots of different angles, it was a consideration. I think Villa should have played the way into the game. I don't think that, that opportunity mm. should have arisen anyway. Um, yeah. But when it does arise and it, 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 it goes against you, it, you do get the kind of feeling of, here we go, it's going to be one of those games. I've got the quote from Ian Wright. He said, what we saw is that Mo Salah is obstructing Emmy's, Emmy Martinez's line of vision. So Howard Webb is probably going to have to make another phone call this week because that is offside and that is interfering with Emmy Martinez. I don't understand anymore. Yes, same Ian. None of us understand anymore. I've seen a quote from somebody else saying that there's so much time dominated by um, kind of previews and post-match shows on the on the Premier League that it's all talk about these decisions that you don't even get the chance to talk about the football anymore. It's, it's always about a referee or a VAR call. And I don't want this show to descend into that because I'm, I don't want to make excuses that you know, they didn't lose yesterday because of VAR. They lost because they were the inferior side. But if that goal is rightly ruled out for offside in, in the third minute of the game, the game plan doesn't change, does it? If you go if you go to Anfield with a plan and you're down after three minutes, everything you prepared for has gone out the window. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those ones. I don't know what we can do about it though, other than have a better think... game plan, have, no, have a better plan B for when when those things do happen. But Ian Wright's right. If if he if Howard Webb comes out and says oh, we apologise to Aston Villa, that should have been ruled out for offside. It's like well, what are we supposed to do with that? It's, it's meaningless now. Get it right in the first place, and we shouldn't have to have an apology. Yeah, I'm still a I'm still a big advocate of. Not necessarily the on-field on referee, and not necessarily in, in press conference form where they're grilled on stuff. But referees, referees should, or the refereeing team, the officiating team should have to provide a report that's made yeah. public at the end of the end of each game. And again, it doesn't necessarily if decisions are wrong or go against you, it's not going to suddenly conjure up the magic lost points. But it's going to shape our understanding. Hmm. As we as we go along, let's go through some of the comments from yesterday's post match show. Then we always say that the post match reaction that we do on a match day is generally a bit more raw or more emotional than a show that we do later in the week because we have time to think about things or watch things back or see replays and things like that. So already this season, I've said things on the Sunday or the Saturday where I've come to do the recording on a Monday and thought I was maybe a bit harsh on so and so there. Or I shouldn't really have said that, and I have the platform to be able to correct myself and say shouldn't really have said that so i've got i don't know 10 or 12 comments here from yesterday's post-match show that were commented on youtube at six o'clock last night or whatever when the people commenting maybe had that same feeling we do of everything's racing around my head like oh, i just need to get something out and maybe in hindsight they would go back to that youtube comment and think oh i shouldn't really have said that so i don't really want to come across here that i'm i've got a list of 10 names here and i'm going you're stupid. You're saying the wrong thing because maybe it, it, with the with the hindsight of another twenty four hours that you and me have had, 
they would think slightly differently as well because there's some here that we're going to talk through where I absolutely disagree and others where I absolutely do agree. I just don't want it to come across as we're, we're like I said, pointing someone out as going, shut up, you're talking nonsense because everyone's opinion is valid. So from Dr. AVFC, not that doctor, will we struggle this season with games following the Conference League matches like West Ham did last year? I know we rested most of the team against Ibernian on Thursday, but it still hampers the preparation. I think it could be a factor. You know, I've I've not been on that many times this season, but the, the times I have been on, I, I can hear myself like a broken record, kind of worrying about the squad depth. And I do still feel that's the case. So I looked at the, the bench yesterday. I actually thought the bench looked looked quite strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you lose Diego Carlos. Um, and then, you know, I don't know the, the extent of the injury. Um, I think Emery played it down a little bit, so I don't think he's a long-term one. We haven't had to contend with this really, you know, we've we've been out of the cup competitions, the domestic cup competitions, quite early, um, mm. frustratingly early um, in a lot of the the, the recent years. Um, we haven't had Europe for what is it, thirteen thirteen years. So I'm not sure I'd put that down as the reason why we lost on um, yesterday, but Agreed. I do think it's something that 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 we need to factor in because, mm-hmm. you know, we had the situation, I know I hark back to, to, to olden times, but we had the situation where where Martin O'Neill was reluctant to to rotate his squad a lot for the Premier League. He'd got a core of, of, of 13, 13, 14 players. Um, and when he did decide to do it for some of the European matches, you know, the Moscow one stands out. We, we all kind of jumped on our high horse and, and, and were appalled by it. So it's a real... It's a real balancing act for Emery. And now that the transfer window has, has been and gone, this is what we've got mm-hmm. pretty much going forwards. So, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. Well, it's a bit of a long-winded answer to your question, Dan, but I was thinking about this this earlier. The injury blows that we seem to have suffered so far this year with Ramsey, Buendia, Mings, Moreno. Did we have any injuries during... The the seven months, six months of Emery's reign last year, or any any notable ones? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. There would have been a couple of games where people missed a handful of games. I think Den Donk had a period out, didn't he? But he was a, a fringe player anyway. I don't think there was anybody that you'd Cash maybe was out consider. For a while, I think, wasn't he? First, team, yeah, Cash. Bailey had a few missing as well, which is standard for him, but no real kind of serious injuries anywhere. That The Ramsey and Moreno ones are vastly underrated, I think, that haven't really been spoken about too much. And Buendia, actually. We'll go on to him in a sec. Ramsey and, and Moreno both playing on the same side of the pitch. He's a, he's a massive hole for us now. I think Dean played well in the, against the size that Villa expect to be. He was good against Hibs, good against Everton. Been really exposed against Newcastle and Liverpool now. He's not the he's not the answer long term, definitely not. Moreno is so key to the way we play and he, he transformed us when he joined in January to the way Emery wants to play. Having pace allows us to play further up because he can get back if needs be. Linking up with Ramsey down that side, that was that was a really key component to the way Villa played last year. We've spoken enough about Torrin Mings and what we miss from him in terms of his physical pre- presence and his leadership. Wendy is someone that hasn't really been spoken about. But his work rate and what he offers going forward and, and allowing us to press higher up the pitch, I think we miss that massively as well. I think it's energy and aggression in... in- mm. Lots of areas of the pitch, and Mings, <clears throat> Mings is an interesting one for me because people might might scoff at this, but I mean Torres is an experienced footballer who's played at the top top level football in Europe. 
I actually think half a dozen games alongside Tyro Mings would have been a blessing for him because he's having mm-hmm. to kind of learn, you know, we talk about leaders and, you know, you, you've probably got John McGinn as the captain who, who's your, your main leader in there. But who's guiding? Like I said, it probably sounds a bit a bit pathetic really because Torres is an experienced player, but he's learning in a very, very different different league to what he's been used to. So yeah. who's guiding him? Who's the voice that's, that, that's helping him through, if you like? Moreno as well, just the, the sheer energy. I think, um, you know, for a, a continental fullback who, who prides himself on going forward, I think he, he's quite aggressive defensively as well. I think, you know, and I'm not going to start digging out Luca Dean because I think, yeah, he's had a difficult time, but he's probably not known until Friday where he's going to be playing his football. You know, no, yeah, that's true. not an excuse because no, no. footballers have paid a lot of money to, to be professional throughout. But I think that left side of defence, it worried me against Liverpool. It's a massive blow to us, really, when we're expecting to have a squad that could compete on three or four fronts to be losing three or four key players now. And where Villa are now, even if though the players that are injured aren't necessarily starters, they're still key players because they give Emery options either mid-game or they give him options depending on the competition, depending on the opposition. So, it's something that we've had to contend with. Having done that, we've played four games in the Premier League. We've won the games we were expected to win and we've lost the games we were expected to lose. So yeah. I don't think it is a time for, for a massive meltdown. I, I think it's a frustrating time because we want to be closer to the teams that we've lost to. And yeah. if we lose, we want to lose a, a brave 1-0 defeat where we've hit the crossbar six times or whatever and, and, and they fluked a winner or whatever rather than being dismantled. I think we're probably hovering around where we should be at the moment. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think it's just the manner of the the way we've lost is the concerning thing. The results in isolation aren't the end of the world. Like I said at the start, if if those games happened against lesser opposition, I'd be more worried than I am. The original question that we said there about was whether the Conference League affects the Premier League. For this one specifically, definitely not. That Heaps game was a, a foregone conclusion. We didn't rotate as much as maybe some people expected, but the game was done. I don't think you know, Emery wasn't consumed by Hibernian and wasn't prepared for Anfield. It's absolutely no chance. But going forward, that will be uh, an imp- that will impact at some stage. I think when we come back for the international break, it's Palace, Legia Warsaw, and Chelsea in a week. Now going away to Poland in what could be a really fiery atmosphere and maybe a difficult game, and if things don't go your way, and then coming back to play at Stamford Bridge on the Sunday. That could be where you start to say, well, if we weren't playing in Poland on Thursday, maybe we'd be more prepared for for Sunday's game. But Emery is the perfect manager to understand that and hopefully he'll be able to translate that that knowledge onto the players. I'll do these in a semi-random order, but because you mentioned Diego Carlos before about the injuries, let's do this one from Lestrum. He said, Carlos appears to be made of glass, which uh, is probably a, a touch harsh. We, we don't know quite what the ex- extent of the injury is yet. It's obviously international break now. The next game for Villa is the 16th of September. So if he was back ab- available for that, I think that'd be that'd be a bonus. Yeah, just a, annoying, isn't it, Diego Carlos getting injured? Uh, we'll speak about him a little bit later in a, a different section, but t- to sign for us and get injured for the season and then come back and play a couple of consecutive 90 minutes and then get injured again against Liverpool. I think his injury record before joining us, I think he, he'd miss something like seven or eight games in his entire career. And he comes to Villa and misses an, an entire season and then gets injured again. So just a bit frustrating, Diego Carlos. I think it's a bit maybe a bit harsh to say that he's made of glass because he's a big lad. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, really annoying. Yeah, listen, it's 
it is it is frustrating. You know, we we signed signed Torres and and Ming Mings gets injured. We sign another centre half. Um, Good job, Carlos. With this. I don't know. I, I I I've not seen the the incident for the when when Carlos no, got injured. Did it, I don't know whether it looked like a muscle injury. You know, it's a big unit, so sometimes powerful. I don't know whether this is this is too easy a generalisation. Sometimes powerful players suffer suffer muscle injuries. You know, kind of more readily than than, than others. Um, but what what can you do, Dan? You know, it's, it's a competitive sport played at know, a million miles an hour. Yeah. You know, it, it's a contact sport still. So you you're gonna you're gonna suffer these setbacks. All you can do is hope that that your recruitment and your academy system provides you enough support around the edges. And we'll see, won't we? We'll we'll see whether that's the case this season. Michael says pathetic. Our transfer window was bad. We need much more than three players and a loan move for Longley. Obviously, these owners are not so ambitious. They should put their money where their mouth is. We were net spend 10th in the league. I don't know. I think, listen, what I would say before I annoy anybody in the comments is that an hour, two hours after the final whistle in a game where you've been heavily beaten um, on any kind of social media platform, he's probably going to, you know, I'd rather Michael vent there than, you know, Come and start booing the owners outside the uh, <laughs> outside the, the ground a week on a week on Saturday or a week on Sunday or whatever. It's a weird one because there's been there's, some of the money that's been been thrown around for players with a handful of games Premier League experience is, is ridiculous. So I can see why people get seduced by that that they want us to be, you know, on that kind of gravy train or whatever, whatever, whatever the phrase is. I actually think that. If that if that entire squad is fit and available, I think it's a squad that can match what we did last year in mm-hmm. the Premier League and be hopeful of advancing. You know, we Agreed. don't don't jinx it by saying how Villa are one of the favourites in the Conference League, but just have again. I think the squad's good, and I just mm-hmm. think you need to be careful about just spending stupid money. Obviously, we want to compete straight away, and we've shown that. With the players that he got, look at the look at the transformation with the players that, that he got last year. Mm. You know, I don't think I don't think reaching for a checkbook is is always the answer. But perhaps perhaps I'm perhaps I, I, I lack the am, lack the ambition as well. But I don't know what what's your thoughts on it. I don't think it's a lack of ambition whatsoever, and I think we've had firstly a very good window overall, and I think there's a a big obsession now with things like specifically like net spend. It's something that you wouldn't have heard that as a phrase. What, 10 years ago, maybe, that oh, so-and-so clubs only got a certain net spend, so that means that they've not done this, that they haven't done that. If you factor in that we sold Cameron Archer, Phil Jean and, and Aaron Ramsey for, what, 40000000 million-ish, let's just say. In years gone by, those players have just been loaned out and loaned out and loaned out and, and bought back, loaned out again. Nothing really happening with them, no progression. I'm going off on one a little bit here, but those players have been sold permanently with buybacks so Villa can control the situation that if they are good enough and they progress in... Ramsey and Archer's case in the Premier League, Villa could activate a buyback and bring them back and integrate them into their squad. I get all that. I think that's good business. makes sense. And from a financial perspective, it boosts Villa's income by 40-odd million. And with the FFP rules and stuff, it's pure profit because they're academy players and you can spread the wealth over contracts or whatever. Now, Villa's net spend, I don't actually know what it was uh, in terms of the figure. If those three players I just mentioned had been loaned again, Villa's net spend would have been 40 million better off in terms of it would look like we'd have spent 40 million more, which I would imagine 
well, considering how much the Premier League has spent, probably doesn't boost us up massively, but would have made our net spend look like we'd spent more. Do you know what I'm saying? So you could then have gone, well, Villa's net spend's actually okay because they've actually spent 90 million instead of 50 or whatever the figures are. So this obsession with net spend, I just don't don't really get, to be honest. I don't think that's the measure of a good side or a good squad that, well, you spent loads of money, so they must be good. Look at Chelsea. For Villa, I, I just don't get it. I think you see sides that spend lots of money or recruit lots of players in one go and sign seven, eight, first in the forest, perfect example. I think they signed seven on deadline day alone. So for Villa to have signed five in the end, two of those loans for now in long lane, Zaniolo, it's just minor surgery, and that's what Villa needed, really. That transfer window is not really accounted for Mings and Brendier being injured in the, in the first week of the season. And like you, I think if all the squad was fully fit for the entire season, which it's never going to be, but if it was, there's a group of players there that are capable of, of putting a top seven run together again and hopefully go well in in one of the cup competitions as well. So I think it's easy to look at with hindsight with those two injuries and a couple of losses early in the season and that the net spend isn't that good and go, Villa's owners aren't ambitious, they should have done more. I think the, I think you can do too much as well. And if Villa would have signed nine or ten players this window, I'd almost be more concerned with that, thinking, well, what's the strategy here? What are we doing? Yeah, I remember we went on the mad recruitment splurge when we first got promoted and we spent about... 130 million quid or something like that and oh, not 10 players. 13 players or whatever mm. and they're all 10 million pound players and we're saying then you know the the sign of evolution would be if we're still spending towards 100 million quid but we sign, we we signing two or three players of a hot, higher yeah. quality now premiums for players has gone up anyway in the last three or four years to to ridiculous extent but that's what we're doing we are we're we're tweaking Mm. and we're evolving rather than thinking that we've got to rip it up every single summer and start again Henry's proven that make players better with good coaching with with organization with 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 tactical nose I'd like him to kind of work with what he's got I'd like him to have a free chance to do that without them all being crocked but I don't think it's been. I don't think it's been a disaster. You know, if you wanted to be hypercritical, you could say, "Well, we're all still a little bit worried when Robin Olsen is in goal." So, was there an option for a, a lone goalkeeper there? You know, probably a little bit light in terms of proper right backs, but he thinks we can. We've got Conthru. We can play there. So, there's only you know, we'd all probably want another centre forward with with Archie Archie gone, but. You've got players in Diaby and Zaniolo who can probably play centrally mm. right up top if needs be. So he must have been satisfied with that squad. Now, because I'm not saying the manager, the coach, he's so highly respected that he gets everything that he wants. I don't think that's healthy. I think the the owners and his bosses need to kick back on some things. But he pretty much has had what he's wanted in terms of the director of football set up around him, the coaches that he wants. Um, and these things. So I can't imagine him being that dissatisfied with with what we've done. Yeah, there was a, a follow-up comment from Iron Bonkers, which maybe says more about <laughs> what this comment could be than anything. He said, "I keep we keep buying good players, but not top six quality players who would Liverpool, Man City or Arsenal, for example, swap to get one of Villa's outfield players. I'd say no one. Again, disagree. I think there's a lot of players in that, that Villa side, and I've said it before, that I think they're, we're almost getting to the stage that if Villa don't start achieving top six finishes, we have players who are capable of playing in the Europa League and the Champions League. And eventually, if the two don't marry up, we are going to start to lose some of those first-team players. Douglas Louise could play for a top-four club. 
Emmy Martin, I know we said outfield, but Emmy Martinez could play for a top four club. I'd argue Wally Watkins could play for a top six club. Look at who we've signed this summer. And you're not telling me that Torres hasn't been on the radar of exactly, yeah. the top four or five clubs. Likewise, Tielemann's been linked with with the bulk of them for the last three or four, four years. DRB as well. We are signing We are signing players from but, that pool now. Agreed, yeah. I know, I'm with you. I don't really know what, what the foundation for that comment comes from. I don't get that Torres hasn't started very well, or in a couple of games he hasn't played well. Torres looked very good in the games where Villa have played well and had a lot of the ball, and he will be a good player for us. The RB is a... Dan, Dan, I know this is not you, but beating the teams who we should beat is progress. He agrees, <laughs> yeah, I've said the same, yeah. You know, previously we played crap against the crap teams and the good teams. Exactly, so, yeah. you know... Beating beating the teams that, that that we should be will get us to seventh. It's difficult, isn't it? Because we we've set off with with so many expectations, and you know we have we have made some some in my mind exciting additions. So we do expect to we don't we don't expect to lose ever again, do we? Really, with football fans, we shouldn't we shouldn't shouldn't ever lose again. And season ticket prices have gone up, and the cost of shirts and cost of living, all these kind of things. It is frustrating when we have these setbacks, but yeah. sometimes they can just be setbacks. I don't mean that everything needs ripping apart. Uh, we've got a couple of negative comments in a row there, and there are a handful more I could have picked, and I did pick, but I don't want to focus on it too much, because like you, I don't think this is the end of the world, and I think social media comments give that vibe sometimes, and everyone, like I said, is, is entitled to their opinion, but I think maybe with hindsight, some of these comments would look different 24, 48 hours after the, the kind of raw emotion of, of full-time. The AVFC faithful says, I don't get the negativity in the comments. We know this team has bounce back ability and Unai will be working at all international break to fix the defensive issues. Six points from four I probably would have taken as you still have to win the easier games and we've done that. There are things to work on, of course, but it's been a pretty good start, all things considered. I think I think we're we're average at the moment. We're about where we probably should be. We've beat the size that we, we expect to and got, and got six points in the league. It's now where we assess Villa in the next month or so. Such a small sample size, still, isn't it? Four games in the Premier League. I'm not, not really concerned about how the league table looks yet. It's it's irrelevant. It's fine. Like we're, we're okay. I'd like us to be better than okay, but I think it will come. Yeah, if we'd have drawn drawn all three away games, we'd have been no better off, would we? I'm with you. Perhaps we should we should be a point better off. Perhaps we should have gone gone to Liverpool or Newcastle and been been strong enough to to take a point. But in the grand scheme of things. Like I said, it's too early to to, to make kind of um, any any kind of wild predictions. I'm 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 fairly comfortable with with where we're at. So I'm not comfortable when we when we can see goals. You know, eight goals conceded in those in those two games is not great. Perhaps I'm investing too much trust and, and hope, but I expect us to come out really strong against mm. against Crystal Palace and to win that game. But we've just got a, a long, frustrating wait um, before we can prove that theory. Let's have a bit of pro pal Torres chat for a change uh, from Robot Sausage Music, which is a great username. I, I like the YouTube comment usernames because they're just so random. Think about like, pal Torres what's is. That, what's that site where you can kind of find the exact location? Is it, is it three words? Uh, or what, what three words? Yeah, I should Google that. Should I Robot Sausage Music and what country is that? Uh, I might do that while you're What if it was your postcode? What if it was like just on your front drive or something? <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have to check that because I feel paranoid. Uh, anyway, he or she says, the thing about Pau Torres is, yes, he's made a few mistakes, but so did Tora Mings, and lots of people got in on his back and then we turned him around and now prior to the injury, he was amazing. Got a feeling Pau's time will come. Let's be patient. Bit of more measured comment there about Torres and I've probably been one to, to kind of dig him out a little bit and I don't mean it to be that way at all. I said yesterday in the post-match show, defensively, 
he still leaves a little bit to be desired. But going forward, if he's going to be on the ball and Villa have got possession, he will be a, a lethal asset for us because he'll play a ball like he did for John Durant at Villa Park on Thursday to Ollie Watkins in a Premier League game and we'll score and win. And we'll go, oh, Pau Torres, great footballer. Now let me find out where uh, where Robot Sausage Music is stalking me from. <laughs> we've, um, we've raved about Trent Alexander-Arnold and his ability on the ball um, earlier in this podcast. And mm. he's probably been the most criticised defender in the Premier League in the last season, certainly. So, you know, it's only, it's only one one game that... that, that that Klopp's played him in, in in that role, and you know, I think he made him captain, gave him a bit of responsibility for that. But why can't Torres? Can we find the perfect way that Torres is not exposed the way that he has been exposed, but that can bring out the best in him as a as a kind of ball playing ball playing defender? Uh, so again, yeah, I'm not not in any any hurry hurry to write him off. I think he's going to be a cracking player for us. I couldn't find robot sausage music, but I found robot massage music as an alternative, and that's Montana in the US. So uh, welcome, if you're listening. (laughs) Probably one of the last uh, comments we're going to go through, I think. Uh, Actually, I'll do two together, because I think they're of a similar nature. From Owen, he says, we changed our style of play to play out from the back last season. We made a balls of it in a few games, but we've persisted and we've become a better team. I see the high line as the same challenge for the team. Let's support the team and players and accept that we, will, that we will lose a number of games making mistakes or playing poorly implementing our improving style and Villa rule 06 losing at St James's and Anfield is nothing to get into a crisis about however the manner of the defeats have both been poor today or yesterday was the first big sign of the hole that Mings has left it's not the end of the world there's been so much good stuff and no doubt a lot more to come I think that's a, a pretty rounded analysis of it to kind of end the show um, that yes Liverpool and Newcastle were hopefully blips in, in the overall season that we'll look back on and go it wasn't a great start but Villa kind of got got themselves into gear later in the year and, and had a good season still um, overall we've seen enough from Emery to believe that he is the right manager to, to sort things out and get things right and and yeah like I say hopefully things only go up from here yeah, I'm completely, completely with it. I'm completely on on side with that. It's um, it's four games in. It'd be interesting. I know I don't want to wish time away. It'd be interesting to see when Liverpool come to Villa Park and Newcastle mm. come to come to Villa Park. How we compete with the with the top teams on our own patch. That was the. It sounds a bit a bit silly, but from Emery's first game against Manchester United, I know it's a, a, a Manchester United that was a fading force. For him to be able to show that transformation within 45 minutes and get mm. Villa capable of taking on, you know, teams that, that would have traditionally lost to. I get he's, he's a very, very calm and measured man, but I get the impression that he takes defeats as like a kind of dagger to his heart in a way, as if to say, well, why did not think of that or did have I miscommunicated something to my players that have allowed that to happen? And I just get the sense that the cogs are turning. And I think that that Emery, Emery, you know, it's a massive cliche that you learn more in defeat than you than you do in victory. But I think it's true. Probably kicking himself for why didn't I do that or or how can I change that? And I find it an exciting, exciting journey to be on with yeah. a manager who's never satisfied and who's always questioning himself and his people around him. And I wonder if he's got a kind of WhatsApp group or a little kind of mini YouTube channel where he, he vents after matches because, you know, <laughs> I, I think he'd have been really, really annoyed about it. But Carmen measured enough to say, well, okay, I've got a couple of weeks to try and try and fix this and we'll we'll 
we'll see how we go next time. There's one one thing I want to mention, Dan, and it's um, how ridiculous is it yesterday that that Villa game, Liverpool versus Villa, is not on television oh, in, I know. in the UK now. That would have been screened in probably, I'm probably not even exaggerating now, 50 countries around, oh, around the world, more, more than that. The camera, the cameras are there. The, you know, the, the camera men or camera women are there. Everything's set up. All the satellite feeds are set up. Yet we can't watch it in this country. Yet if we want to watch things in the in a, a, a legal way, you that's legal, not illegal. If you want to watch things in a legal way, you're going to have to probably spend what towards a hundred quid to subscribe yeah. for everything. I just think it's ridiculous. It should be how it was when we had probably our best growth spurt on the podcast in Project Restart when every game was on TV. For the money that you have to pay to subscribe to Amazon, BT, Sky Sports, you should have a red button service or whatever where you just press it and it's got every single game to watch and you pick the one you want to watch. Because like you said, they're covering it anyway. The fact that there are so many different ways to watch a game illegally and that's such a big almost business, I suppose, that's because of the rules that are in place are so stringent against just broadcasting every Premier League game. It's it's the biggest league in the world. We should have access to these games. We should be able to watch what we want for the, for the money you pay. And to not have that access is so outdated now. It's ridiculous. It's like, um, it's like subscribing to Netflix, Apple, Paramount Plus, Disney Channel. But you can only watch Teletubbies and Antiques Roadshow, isn't it? It's just, <laughs> it's just so poor. For the consumer, and I, I get, I get the age-old argument. I get, I get the thinking behind the three pm blackout and and oh, that kind of thing. But no, I, I get it. Traditionally, I don't think it should last anymore because I wouldn't say they're two two separate species, but I think they are different between your match-going fan and your television fan. And obviously, some of us straddle straddle both camps. But the argument in the past has been, well, if we start showing every Premier League game that kicks off at three o'clock on a Saturday and we make that available for people to watch on television, then it's going to hit, you know, we're local to kind of Howell's own in Stourbridge. There's not going to be that many people turn up at, at, at Stourbridge on a Saturday afternoon or, or at Howell's own town on a Saturday afternoon. I don't buy that argument no, anymore because if you want to go out and watch live football you will watch live football because if you were that compelled to watch whatever kicked off at three o'clock on a Saturday rather than going down the grove to watch how Zoe you'll watch it illegally hmm. anyway so I think it's a bit of a it's a, a bit of a redundant argument and I think the the cost so much for all these TV subscriptions if you're getting all of them like we say you're probably knocking on a, a hundred quid a month if you're doing it doing it all above board they can offer some kind of premium package Anyway, like if you yeah, do, well, if, yeah, you yeah. do if, you, if you spend 100 quid a, a month on your sports subscriptions, you can have a bespoke premium package, which, like you says, you either have a menu of games that you can, you can pick whichever one you want from, or you have a season ticket for your club and you have yeah. every game that they do. I just think it, it, it's ridiculous now. With all this money that's washing around in the, in the Premier League at the moment, with exorbitant transfer fees and, and, and wages and all, all these kind of things, that's because we're being fleeced for so many different TV packages. But people have said before that the, the bubble will burst and saying this for 10 years that the Premier League bubble will burst and it doesn't show signs of it. But surely surely TV subscribers, I don't know the figures and perhaps a, a good journalist would have done, done research before going on in this impassioned rant. But the more people who are streaming games 
illegally is going to start having a massive knock-on effect for how how the Premier League and the big leagues are funded because mm. there's going to be less and less TV subscription packages. So it, it is going to end up kind of eating itself in yeah. the end. Um, but no, I just I just find it ridiculous that, that, that a multitude of countries could have watched that game, no problem. In the West Midlands and in England, you, you, you couldn't. I just, it, it just baffles me, really. Yeah, I'm with you. The argument again. I'm working on an on a way day match day anyway. So the argument of oh, if it's not on t if it's on TV, it's going to stop the the away fans going. The three or four thousand or so at Anfield yesterday still sell out that location if that game's on TV. And I, there was no point in my mind yesterday. Where I thought Villa's not on TV at three o'clock. Oh, I'm going to go to Kiddie Harriers and watch them play non-leagues. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in Aston Villa. Not because I'm working anyway, so it's a slightly different argument. But just because it's not on TV, I'm not going to go and watch non-league. Little rant there, then, out of the way. I know you've got to go in a sec. Just very quickly to end the show, I wanted to talk about the Villa curse and see whether there's anything in this. So this is something that crops up on social media pretty much any time there's a player injured that, oh, Villa are cursed. My social media timeline was full of it yesterday when Diego Carlos went down. We signed a centre-half, Torremins gets injured. We saw another centre half. Diego Carlos gets injured. Oh, Villa are cursed. Uh, so I've got a couple of examples that were sent to me on either the YouTube comments or social media, and a couple that I thought of myself. Just going to quickly talk through any of these and, and uh, see what you think. Is there any occasions you can think of where you've thought, "Oh, Villa are cursed"? What's going on here? The only the only one I can think of is is Luke Nillis back in the day. I think you automatically, as a football fan, you automatically, you know, injuries happen, don't they? But when they happen yeah. to your team, you think, oh, we jinxed and we and we cursed. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, this conversation where it makes my head go. Have you seen in um, Ted Lasso? He gets injured and um, they reckon there's a, an age-old curse around the ground that all of the, all of the first team players have to burn something, a, a possession that's, that's a prized possession that, that, that that's, that's close to them. Just wondering if we do that. We just, or the the other one was um, famously. Have you heard the, the the curse of St Andrews, where Barry Fry went and urinated mm. in all four all four corners of the game yeah. the ground. I think uh, I think Unai might be a bit too classy to uh, to to start doing that. But uh, I don't know what, what what were you thinking then in terms of the curse? I had a couple that I've sent through to me. Obviously, Diego Carlos signed last year for Villa for for big money. He was injured for eight months on his home debut, the second game of the season. Comes back and never had it, barely had an injury in his life and gets injured again. You just think, oh, Villa are cursed. The one that I thought of was signing championship hotshot Scott Hogan in January 2017, who'd scored bags of goals for Brentford. I think he'd scored 14 up until that point and guaranteed success that for Villa, a proven goal scorer in this division. Uh, and I, I had a quick look for research before we started. I don't think he scored more than one goal for us in the second half of that season. It turned out to be an absolute disaster. And funny enough, the day that or the day before, I think he, we officially signed him. We played Brentford, if you remember, at their place. Dean Smith was their manager. Hogan didn't play because he was about to complete a move to us. And he's thinking, well, Brentford are without Hogan, so you know maybe we'll do all right here. And he's joining us, so you know, the rest of the season we'll be fine. They beat us three, three not their place. You just think, oh, we're cursed. Uh, and the, fi- the final couple that I won't talk to massively because I've, I've realised we'll go out in a second. Bradford in the in the cup semi final, uh, very very annoying. That sort of thing just shouldn't happen against Man United. Generally, feels like we've been cursed over the years. Do you remember Federico Makeda? No one else What's does. There, but he, he scored day, against yeah, us that, and, and disappeared day. disappeared onto off the face of the earth. He's actually thirty two and still playing for Apoel in the Cypriot First Division, which seems mad because that's such a long time ago. Uh, and Adebayor refusing to sign for us due to an act of God, uh, an intervention that maybe the club was cursed, and then Villa were relegated in that same season. So perhaps Adebayor was right. Maybe Villa are cursed after all. 
The other one as well was the the famous quiz question, wasn't it? The, the Evo Stas one. Scored an own goal for us. Uh, so scored a, a goal when he was playing for Banica Ostrava, an own goal. Then. Villa signed him and he never he never actually played a, a competitive game for us because he was injured. Mm. So add, add Ivo or Evo to your, to your curse list as well. We've massively got carried away there and lost track of time. So much so that Matt's had to jump off to a meeting and do some proper work. So that just leaves me to do the outro on my own. Thanks very much to Matt for joining me early this morning to chat all things Aston Villa. And thanks to you for watching as well. We really appreciate all the support on the podcast at the moment. Whilst it is the international break, we are filming a couple of pieces this week. So keep an eye on the channel for those. Thank you very much for watching this one. And we'll see you again very soon.